Natural Solutions with Dr. J. Your source for time-tested and cutting-edge natural medicine approaches to optimize your health. With your host, Dr. J. Sordian. Uh, an additional session of Natural Solutions with Dr. J. And I am so pleased to be able to uh, interview Barry Kibrick, who um, I first saw a couple weeks ago. I was watching PBS on Sunday morning, and Barry was there giving a, a talk about peace of mind, I believe it was. And um, it was it, it captured my attention. It was just so your style is, is very peaceful and in nice setting. And it reminded me of, of the early Alan Watts radio shows, which I had heard when I first moved out to California. And so I sent you an email and uh, telling you that and you responded. I go, wow, fantastic. So anyway, that's how that's how we met. Yes. And, and, and as I said, I was influenced by Alan Watts as well. That's right. And uh, I could tell, I'd go, hmm, this guy sounds, he, he's like an Alan Watts, except, except on television. And um, so you, Barry, have, um, you had a program on PBS for 24 years, was it? Yes, and still airing. It's still airing, yeah. That, and that's what I saw, it was a re rerun, right? Right. Right. And that's called Between the Lines. And how many Emmy Awards had it been nominated for or won? It's been nominated for six and we won three. Congratulations. That's great. And so if people want to see that, it's regularly scheduled? It is on Sunday mornings on PBS. But if they want to really see all the episodes in uh, the best light possible, it would right. be to just go to uh, my YouTube channel which is just my name and they'll find it, or they can go to my website at barrykibrick.com and they can see all the episodes uploaded on the YouTube channel. And they could also listen to all my podcasts just by going to my website, barrykibrick.com. Fantastic. So your um, podcast is a, a somewhat new endeavor for you, right? And you call it Just Between Us? No, that's actually the new, that's the, the new YouTube channel is oh, called okay. Just Between Us. The okay. podcast is still between the lines. What I've done is I've taken all my classic episodes and I've updated the intros and things like that and gave more insight to them. And those are the current podcasts that are available. It's called Between the Lines with Barry Kibrick. They're on every podcast provider. The Just Between Us is where I talk only to viewers, and that is in um, on my YouTube channel, but all of it can be accessed uh, just by going to my website. It's the easiest way. Fantastic. Now, I have not seen any of the Just Between Us episodes. Do you actually have a crowd of people who are tuned in and they ask questions? No, it's actually me just philosophizing uh, to my viewers. And uh, then I do, we've been now doing monthly a uh, live Facebook chat so that viewers could write in and uh, ask questions. And, and then I, I respond to it. So, and then also the podcast, we're eventually going to start doing new ones with guests. 
So the podcast may have guests in the future. All of the podcasts have guests uh, because they're the best of my Between the Lines, which was with guests. You actually saw a show, I think, that was just my solo show. It was. Because I began experimenting with it on Between the Lines on PBS, and that's when we then decided to uh, move it to just YouTube because of all the costs that were associated with doing it on PBS. I couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah. So you're also a, a producer, director. Is that right? You have a production No, I'm, I'm a producer. Uh, I dire- I, and uh, I directed other episodes, but all of my shows are directed by my son. He's also my co-producer and editor, and his name is Eli. And uh, so he's the director of all the Between the Lines episodes, all the Just Between Us episodes. I was also uh, an instructional and professional development video producer that directed those types of programming. Oh, interesting. But my son's a regular filmmaker. Uh Uh-huh. Do you have any um, online trainings in that type of thing that people would be able to access or pay to study with you in that no, because those were all done while I was employed by PBS, the station out here in Los Angeles, and they own all of those materials. Now, some of them are online via through them, but they're the, they're the uh, Los Angeles Unified School District, and they own the PBS station out here in Los Angeles. So you'd have to go through the Los Angeles Unified School District to find anything. That's interesting. I didn't realize that the school district was part of PBS. Yeah, they're the, uh, in fact, they're the second largest PBS in Los, because they're in Los Angeles. The first one is in uh, New York, obviously. All right. Interesting. So um, when we spoke briefly, uh, you said that the uh, Between Us uh, just between us and kind of your purpose is to um, help people better understand their place in the world. Yeah, I, I think it, it, I have a little a little saying that I go as I, say, I always want everyone, including myself, by the way, I learn as much by doing these things as anyone else does, because I have to do the research and everything. So I, it's always to develop a uh, deeper understanding of the world and a greater appreciation for their role in it. That is really my goal and on everything I ever did, even when I was a comedy producer, even the comedy itself had that behind it for, it was always been a mission. Fantastic, so um, you would say that's what your passion is in doing these series or? Yes, I would, my passion, my mission, my passion. There's so many different words you can use to describe it. Uh, And it wasn't something that it it really did evolve. I mean, I'm going to level with the world. I I was doing it with the hopes of making profits. (laughs) Absolutely. Why not? There was no profits. I had to gain some satisfaction out of it. And therefore it it shifted to that. And I'm, I'm really grateful that it has because um, don't get me wrong. I would still love uh, and in fact, I couldn't even do this show if it wasn't for my patrons. I have uh, patrons that support what I do. And by the way, if anyone wants to ever do that, they're always welcome. And I'd like to good, plug good. that. You yeah. can also find it on my website at barrykibrick.com. And it's as cheap as $2 a month. 
and you get to get some extra benefits and you could pledge more and do more than that. But that's how I'm able to keep this going is I have patrons that love the work I do and um, they're, they're willing to help support it. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's, it's very important for people of your caliber and your wisdom to be, to be able to continue to share that. And life is not free. I mean, you know, you have expenses, it costs every, everything. So I'm, I appreciate your mentioning that because I'm always um, looking for ways to support great artists like yourself and philosophers. Well, thank you, Jay. And thank you again for this opportunity. Uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm, I was very honored that you asked me to appear. Thank you. So um, the title of this particular podcast and, and my background, I'm a, a natural medicine doctor and, and I have focused more the past maybe five, six, seven years on dementia, Alzheimer's and memory and the brain. And it seems to me that, that understanding one's place in the world, there's something about one's memories and, um, and who we are, who, who are our legacy or whatever is, is related to that topic too. So somehow um, I had a question, how you, what you think or feel is um, how memories and our memories or the memories other people have of us, how that fits into what our personal legacy is in, in life. You know, it's, it's, I have, <laughs> I guess we're kindred spirits, Jay. I've had uh, similar thoughts for a very long time, but I think my response may surprise you a little bit. All right, and uh, I'm, in fact, I, I've learned this when I've, when I, whenever I've been at funerals, I, I feel this, in fact, more deep than anything. When people say, you know, they will stay alive in your memory, they will be. And I say, you know, I think there's a little twist to that. I think people may be forgotten, even with their memories gone, but their consciousness, their soul is something that can never be destroyed, according to the greatest of physics that we understand. So whether we remember them or not, they are still with us. I have a very strong belief of that. Now, of course, without the memory, you may not be able to tap into them. That's where I believe the memory comes from. So, if, uh, for instance, I, I love using my mom as an example. She tragically died in a car crash over 30 years ago. And yet I am in touch with her now way more than I've ever been while she was alive. I would speak to her once a week and it usually was just, hey mom, how's it going? But yet now I am tapping into her, whatever it is, constantly. And the same with my dad who just recently passed. I am tapping into them constantly and that's due to the memory. But I believe if I don't remember them, they're still out there to be tapped into. That is really fascinating. I know that in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, there's a point on the top of the head called 100 meetings that is also associated with like the crown chakra and, and all the others. And the 100 meetings is supposed to help when, when we put a needle there, it's supposed to help people get more in touch with their ancestors and the ancestral um, wisdom. So is there a particular technique or a place in your body 
that you um, put your attention on that then gives you more uh, connection? Yeah, this is going to, and again, it's very funny. I, I've done this study myself too. And I found that you, you heard, everyone knows the term gut feeling. What I found when I dug into that deeper, the gut is the closest type of structure to the brain. The type of um, tissue that makes up our gut is very close to the type of tissue that makes up our brain. And so I like to use both the physical and the mental to feel that sensation. And yes, I definitely believe we can tap into consciousness. I, I like to use the term the cosmic library, uh, where you can check out the wisdom of whoever you wish to check out. And uh, I, I find that I find that to be a very soothing, <coughs> excuse me, a very soothing um, a feeling whenever I need to be sort of relaxed or um, decompress. Uh, believing that is uh, is something that I, I I like to turn to. So. Is that um, like if you're communicating with your the consciousness of your mother or your father, is there a particular practice or something that you do that how do you get in touch with that? No, I, you know, there if it is, it's beyond my subconscious. I'm not aware of it. Mm -hmm. I it's and, and it's not I, I want to be clear, too, because I don't want it to get too ephemeral. It's not sort of like, oh, hi, dad, can you give me this answer? Or hi, mom, can you? It doesn't work like that. It's just more of what I would say, part of my consciousness. And that in itself is debatable if it resides within or is consciousness something we tap into. So I, I, it's, it's on that same plane for me. It's not a direct conversation it's not like I hear words. It's not like I even get answers. It's just solace. Mm. I get solace from it. And um, I think that's the best way to explain it, or at least uh, the deepest way that I can explain it. And by the way, I, I do wish, I, I would love to be able to say, oh no, I tap in and I can talk to my, it's just, it's not that way. It's much more on a, um, what I would call a, uh, as a sort of a consciousness level, but it's not a direct communication by any means. All right. Yeah, I know that like my father died when I was 18, uh, just before I graduated from high school. And it was my teenage years. There was a little bit of conflict between the two of us. He died of, of lung cancer that metastasized to his brain. And so there was a lot of confusion. It almost a, a Alzheimer's-like condition where he would get lost. He, his personality became radically different and all. And um, so that was an early age and, and, and true confession. In some ways I felt more liberated, uh, but then later, and since then it's like, I kind of go, huh, I wonder what daddy would say about this. Or I'd, I'd love to hear about his experiences. So a few times before I went to sleep, I would say, you know, I'm having this issue if you're around, if, if there's something in the dream world you could pass on to me, then uh, that would be great. You know, I, I try to use the, the soft 
the soft hypnotic trance language before I go to sleep. It's not saying you have to do. It's just like it'd be kind of nice if if you decide if you know I could get the answer while I'm asleep. And so sometimes I felt like that's a way that I've made a conscious effort to get in touch with ancestral energy. It's very funny. I. They actually still do that. As I said, I just don't get the answers, but I do do that as well. So I just, right. you know, but I, I don't get the response. I just didn't want to think that I'm hearing voices in my head. And not by the way, that I think there's anything wrong with that, as the exactly. Jerry classic says. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If people believe and feel that they can pick up psychic energy and they can pick these things up and utilize them, I, I just think that's beautiful. It's just not something that I've ever experienced, except in the way you described it as that sort of space between, they, they say there's those moments right before you go to sleep and right before you wake up, there's a sort of level of consciousness that's a little different than being fully conscious and being fully unconscious as a sleep. So I, I find those moments to be uh, the best time for me to to do that sort of um, what I'll call practice. That makes sense. I'm going to pause here. Maybe the internet connection has gotten better now. Um, so do you know anyone who has dementia? Or have you worked with anyone with dementia? Uh... Well, I mean, I, I, I know relatives who've had dementia, but no, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't personally experienced that. Both, as I said, my mom was taken young. My dad lived till 93, but had absolutely no dementia whatsoever. And my, my wife's parents um, also no dementia whatsoever. So I've never really had uh, at my aunt's I have an aunt who I'm not that close with, who my cousin tells me has severe dementia, but I haven't dealt with her. So I really have not had that much interaction. Uh, now, I've had guests on my show that have written many books about this and the dealings with uh, dementia. So I'm aware of it and I know uh, what I would say would be the best practices. I, 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 wanna, I don't know the best practices, but I'm aware of the best practices. But no, I, I haven't personally had to do with, deal with that. And I'm, I guess I'm kind of lucky because I know a lot of people our age uh, who have aging parents and grandparents uh, have to deal with that. But no, my grandparents lived long lives and also never had uh, any form of dementia. Yeah, the, the, um, I've written a couple of books on it and, and interviewed a lot of people on, that are on this Natural Solutions with Dr. J on this podcast uh, talking about that and one of my curiosities having to do with consciousness and and reality and how we internally see reality from the inside out um i'm curious like i have not heard any of your maybe some of your things talked a little bit about that on how how um how we internally form and and shape our external reality have you you've spoken about that before yes yeah, so i i even have I'll, I'll tell you a little theory that i put out there and um 
I, I've, I, I've actually personally experimented with it and it worked, uh, but that's just, that's not real science by any means. But I, uh, and I've spoken to people who have experienced this and say there may be something there. Like you talk about dementia, I was using this with people who I would say would be psychotic. And I really don't believe that they are necessarily psychotic. I believe that they really are hearing those voices. Uh, and those voices are coming from that potential external consciousness or radio frequencies that they just can't control. And I see the sense of dementia being the same way. It's as if, I, I look at it this way, and a, a fellow named Gerald Schroeder, uh, a great uh, physicist and philosopher uh, out of the Shalom Institute of Israel, who I had on my show, believed this. And I've been using this as an example. Uh, it's as if your brain is uh, a radio tuner. Now, if you unplug the radio, that music is still floating through there. But if you plug in and you can tune to the frequency, you can pick up whatever radio station you want to pick up. So I believe that our minds, if not our physical brains, our mind, and again, I know there's an argument to be said whether you separate those two or not, but I believe our minds are something that we can tune into. We can set that tuna. And I think that a person who's psychotic is just tuned in to other things. And I believe that a person who has dementia may be experiencing all of a sudden, they're no longer on the same frequency they've been on, and they're on a new frequency. So that's kind of the way I philosophize about it. That, and as I want to make certain, I'm, I'm not stating that as a science. I'm not a scientist. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, certainly what you're describing, being in touch with different levels of consciousness and whether it's whether the the focal point or the the terrain in which the the our mind and consciousness actually is confined to the spaces in our skull or it's much I feel like it's much larger because yeah. you know we live in what 10 or 23 dimensional reality or something like that you know and so i think it's much much more much more outside of just corporeal existence or the bounds of uh, four or five dimensional reality but I, I i couldn't agree more jay yeah i had this i had this experience many years ago where um i was returning home and something happened where i had a, a blow to the head and there were like 11 different ways in which um, I thought, well, maybe it could be this, 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 this. I had really no idea. And um, I was with my wife and I asked her, oh, do we have insurance? And she said, yes, but we have a high deductible. And then I kept asking the same question over and over and over again, maybe 32 times. And so then I was able to drive us over to the hospital because I worked there. And there's little snippets of memory that I have um, visual auditory memory that I have that I think are accurate. But for about six hours, it was, there was just this big blank, although I was conversing with other people and all. And I cut at the end of that, I woke up in the ER and I looked around, I looked at the clock on the wall and it was like 2 a.m. And I'm looking around and I see my wife and I say, oh, 
do we do we have insurance i asked the same thing and she's thinking oh no it's gonna all happen again and and uh i said and she said yeah we have a high deductible i said okay and i didn't repeat the question it like it registered it uh, my my function in the now was registering the the step-by-step conversation and her response and I've sort of speculated. I wonder if that is somewhat like the state that. So I, fe- I just felt like I was asleep that whole time, except for periodic um, interactions with people, which I it, are not conscious memories. You know, she had to tell, oh, that you said this and that. There's just little snippets. So I'm sometimes wondering if that is what the internal state of someone with dementia has, because they cannot track in the here and now very well so that's kind of my theory i i i i would say that i'm as parallel to that as as possible in fact my my friend my dear friend andrew whose mom just passed away suffered from severe dementia near the end of her life Mm -hmm. and was able to recall things from the past as if they happened yesterday but couldn't know who his son was uh, yeah. So that's always been fascinating with me. And in fact, I had a dear friend who was a viewer of the show. She was 96 when she passed away. And she could remember her childhood in Britain during World War II with, you know, complete, I mean, from colors of clothing to whatnot, but then couldn't find the phone number or couldn't remember who her doctor was or couldn't. Right. So there's definitely something interesting that happens when, when the mind goes through that. And, um, and uh, I'm really, you, you, this is one of those that I'm certain you are much more versed at than I am. So I don't, I don't know about, I don't, I wouldn't say that's the case, but it's just interesting comparing notes. Yes. And, um, you know, we're we're in this time frame now where there's uh, the George Floyd um, tragedy and all these different things where family members are saying this is the person's legacy. You know, and then like I've heard about the biography and, and the background of George Floyd. And what an amazing man. I mean, all the different things that he he did as a professional in athletics and helping all these other people. And that seems like a, a, it's it's so it's it's tragic and it's is terrible that his death in that way suddenly creates him as a legacy and this like amazing person who, on the face of it, just should have been known as this incredible person. And so that's what was sort of also going on my mind about legacy and memory and. And in what way does, what what kind of, what do you think is your legacy? You know, <laughs> I, 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 I like to use this phrase. I, I remember watching Dolly Parton being interviewed on uh, the Sunday morning show on CBS. And someone asked her and they said, Dolly, what would you like people to say 120 years from now about you? And she said, boy, she looks damn good for her age. So that's how I look at my legacy. I don't, I, I don't want to leave so much as I want to stay around so long. 
So I don't, I don't, uh, I never, it never enters my mind, my legacy. I, that's a strange thing. But as I said, it relates a little bit to the fact that I don't believe in death in a certain way. I believe in a corporal, like you say, body passing, but I don't believe in any other form of passing. So I never think of my own death. I never have a bucket list. I, in fact, my wife insists that I change this and do so immediately. But even in our my living trust, I say, surprise me. So I don't I don't think of uh, I don't think of terms of of my legacy. I don't. I I mean, yes, uh, I, I, I hope that my impact. But you know something? Everybody's impact no matter how small it may seem. You just use George Floyd as an example. He never set out to do what what actually is now transpiring in his name. And I think for the good, don't get me wrong. When I say for the good, I wanna be very careful how I phrase that. I don't mean that his death was for the good, but I mean what's going to come out of it is going to, I hope finally after the centuries is is it's it's about time and even now it'd be too late but it's i i hope it does but you know we don't really realize even the impact that the smallest thing could have i i remember being in a history class where these a bicyclist in france were training for the tour de de france a tour yeah tour de france yes uh in in during world war ii and they didn't even know it but the secret underground of the French Revolution was putting secret messages in their backpacks that they weren't aware of, but that when they would get to the next station, there was someone there that would pick it up, look at it and pass it on. And it was some of the key communications that led to D-Day. And these guys had absolute no knowledge of what their legacy would have been. But yet without them, we may not have been able to succeed during one of the greatest moments of World War II. So everyone leaves. There's a great line, uh, Jay, I want to share with you. Um, that I, Then this is a, a, a true story. Uh, JFK, when he made the decision to take us to the moon by 1969, he, he, he made that uh, statement in, I think, 62. And he went to visit NASA. And when he was at... Uh, or JPL, well, they're both associated. He went to visit where the rockets were being built and there was a guy sweeping the floors uh, by just sweeping the floors. And he says to the, to the janitor, he says, you know, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm helping put a man on the moon, Mr. President. So, and without that, he, you know, we wouldn't have gotten to the moon because everyone knows how clean those rooms have to be, how sterile. So, you don't, everyone plays a major role in this planet, even if we don't know what that role is. I love those words. And I feel like that is the perfect place to end this perfect interview um, because it's words of wisdom we all need to reflect back on and realize that no matter if we're feeling confident or not confident, if we're feeling significant or insignificant, we have great significance, each and every one of us. No doubt, Jay. 
All right, great. Thanks so much again. Thank you, Jay. I'll talk to you later. Great. Natural Solutions with Dr. Jay. Your source for time-tested and cutting-edge natural medicine approaches to optimize your health. With your host, Dr. Jay Sordian. If you're interested in finding out more about how you or your relatives can avoid dementia, buy the book, Outsmarting the Dementia Epidemic, Seven Key Memory Care Actions to Avoid Alzheimer's and Successfully Keep Your Brain Safe, Sharp, and Sexy into the Future by going to OutsmartingDementia.com. That's OutsmartingDementia.com. If you'd like to learn more about how to get an appointment with Dr. Sordian, please call the Redwood Clinic at 510-849-1176. And for information, go to theredwoodclinic.com. Thank you.